You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 484, and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. Ariel Fogel is a software engineer with an enduring soft spot in his heart for Ruby and Rails. Since graduating from Dev Bootcamp, he has found himself driven by finding ways to improve the quality of education for coders and non-coders alike. When he's not thinking about coding, he's practicing yoga, playing beach volleyball, spending time with his girlfriend, or getting into not heated, but calm and collected debates about how to prepare hummus the right way. Welcome to the Ruby on Rails podcast, Ariel. Greetings from Tel Aviv. What a cool place to be. Now, rumor has it, this is your first podcast. This is my first podcast. I'm super excited to be here. I am super excited to have you. We go way back, which is kind of crazy. But, you know, before we spotlight that, what is your developer origin story? Yeah. So (laughs) I started actually basically with HTML and CSS when I was in eighth grade. And it was just like fascinated that I could do something and put it on a computer screen. But then realized that I didn't have much of a use case beyond finding a place to compile all of my jokes. (laughs) So I kind of left it alone for a number of years until I accidentally was reintroduced to it in my first job. So I worked at a think tank and I helped manage a database for all the nonprofits in the US. And so I was learning SQL. And then I started programming, doing more like statistical programming. And this is before the days of data science, but I found myself like really wanting to learn, finding it first very satisfying, but also really wanting to learn exactly how to make good programs. Around 2013, I started searching for programming bootcamp just to see whether there was something that was out there. And I kind of fell into web development as a result. So you are another alumni of Block. The listeners are very familiar with the fact that I learned how to program through Block, which is an online bootcamp that sadly no longer exists. But I was also a mentor there as well. First, I want to hear about your experience at DevPook Camp as a coach and then as a software engineer at Block, because I know how important education is to you. So as I mentioned before, I went to a bootcamp, to Dev Bootcamp, which was, I think, the very first bootcamp and in-person bootcamp and actually started in the same building as Block, if you can believe it or not. So I found it to be a completely life-transforming experience. There was a completely different way of approaching how we can learn that was not structured in a way where you cared about tests. It was about getting the material and understanding it to its core and really trying and failing. And there was a kindness to this path of failure almost. You were meant to stumble and pick yourself up and meant to stumble and pick yourself up. And so I really appreciated that. And I found myself drawn to block and to coaching the bootcamp for those same reasons was that not only was it this incredible experience for the students in terms of what new career opportunities are opened, but it also gave me an opportunity to better understand aspects about how do we learn, which ended up being just this persistent curiosity for me. So I have friends who went to in-person boot camps. Of course, I went to an online boot camp. And my understanding of the in-person boot camps, it could easily be 80 hours a week where you're just like fully immersed in the code. Was that your experience at Dev Boot Camp? Totally. Every single day I was in the boot camp. And while we did have breaks for lunch and we did have also yoga wellness breaks and some engineering empathy, 
workshops, which I think was important so that we didn't turn into robots, that ultimately we were just thoroughly immersed in coding and to the point where I was actually having dreams where I was thinking about trying to unravel problems that I'd been working on the day before. So really, really intensive, but an incredibly rewarding experience. Yeah, I think for me, like I appreciate those experiences the later in life that I get. They say like learning is wasted on the young. Part of me wishes I could go back and like go to high school and relearn. Just I feel like I'm a much better learner now than I was way back when. And so I'm curious, would you consider yourself a career switcher by going through Dev Bootcamp? Absolutely. I feel like I started with this path in economics and frankly, I majored in music in college. And so for me to find myself, I'm now a three times career switcher, I think, because first I started in in research, then I moved to programming, and then I took like a small hiatus to go back to do research on learning, frankly, before coming back to development. So if I follow the timeline correctly, you went through Dev Bootcamp, then you became a coach, and then you eventually became a software engineer at Block. I'm guessing you were working on the actual education platform that me and the other mentors were coaching from. What was that experience like? Yeah, I found it to be really fascinating. It was cool to see. So there were a number of different facets to it that supported our broad thesis of how to effectively deliver remote learning. And that was in large part, really strong written curriculum good exercises, and then also scheduling with one-on-one in-person mentors. And eventually it started moving towards this idea of mastery learning and started moving towards an approach of quizzes. And that was a really, really interesting thing to be able to build all of those tools and checkpoints and structure that kind of course progression. Now, one thing that I encountered also is that building learning management software is kind of a challenge and figuring out, especially for somebody in a remote program that has kind of a very long progression through the program, starts and stops happen often. So being able to figure out how to handle that, figuring out how to do modules and sequencing, that was a a huge challenge that we as a team kind of encountered. But it was a really, really interesting way that that introduced me to how sequencing actually should function in an educational context. I'm going to share something funny with you. I was one of the earlier students at Block and one of my favorite features of the platform, it got deprecated pretty quickly while I was there. But <laughs> do you remember that at one point there was like a little racetrack and it showed you where all these students who were currently taking the program were and you could like race against each other. Someone who is deeply competitive like I am, it was not good because at one point I was like three weeks ahead, absolutely loving that. But I could see why that feature was deprecated. (laughs) (laughs) It's really, really funny. I am just imagining who had a hand in designing at least the graphics of it. But yeah, I think that that's certainly one of those things where I'm glad that it was working for you, but might have been a little bit demoralizing for other students. Agreed. So you hinted around at this. So essentially you were in Rails as a developer. You took a brief foray to go back and get reeducated, which I think is awesome. And now you're back into programming. So I'd love to do like a version check. So... Do you happen to know, like, when did you learn Rails? When did you depart from Rails? And like, when did you come back? 
Yeah. So I learned Rails right as we were moving from Rails 3 into Rails 4. I remember there were some fun, interesting experiences. I think we were just about to upgrade to Rails 5 when I started departing from Rails. And I found my way more into the world of JavaScript, especially when it came to both doing some front-end UI design as well as data visualizations. And that was where I kind of stood for a while until about 2020, so Rails 6. So I think I just completely missed Rails 5. And it was really with the introduction of Turbo that I started getting super excited about what Rails has to offer again. I know that TurboLinks had been a- around for a while, but like Turbo Drive and really with Rails 7, Hotwire as a large kind of way to approach front end development in Rails has been super, super eye-opening and super exciting for me. Do you currently use one service for uptime monitoring, another one for error tracking, another for status pages, and yet another to monitor your cron jobs and microservices? Paying for all those services separately may be costing you way more than you think. If you want to simplify your stack and lower your bills, it's time to check out HoneyBadger. HoneyBadger combines all of those services into one easy-to-use platform, It's everything you need to keep production healthy and your customers happy. Best of all, HoneyBadger is free for small teams and setup takes as little as five minutes. Get started today at HoneyBadger.io. That is HoneyBadger.io. Thank you to HoneyBadger for their continued support of the Ruby on Rails podcast. So my understanding too, is that one of the ways that you're kind of getting reacquainted with the community is that you have gotten involved with the agency of learning, correct? Correct. Tell me all about that. So it's been really interesting because I've kind of started going back to development as somebody that took a couple years off. I found myself wanting to get back to what it was like to work in a remote team, working with a team. And one of the things that I find so cool about the agency of learning is that it really, it builds on this idea of apprenticeships. It's meant to be kind of a finishing school for a lot of early career developers, but it really allows us to focus on kind of not only developing products that are open source. So we work a lot with Ruby for Good and with them, we help develop some of the projects that they've got going on, as well as developing other open source kind of greenfields projects. I know that the agency is also helping to develop the scheduling app for Rails World, which is pretty exciting. And what's really cool is that we have all of these practices that you see in a real development team that if you're learning through a bootcamp or if you are learning kind of on your own, it's a lot of these peripheral details. How do you have an effective standup? How do you communicate about pairing and giving feedback? And all of these other practices for code review, building design documents, that allow the more junior developers to really get a good sense of not only the development practices, like how to write good code, but also the cultural practices that lead to being a successful developer. Interesting. So day to day, like how involved are you with the agency? Are you in these standups? Are you a mentor? Is it almost kind of similar to the block model. I'm curious to hear more about it. Yeah. So I've been kind of in between being a mentor and an individual contributor. So on the one hand, 
I have, I think, more experience than the typical person that has got admitted to the agency. And I have been helping people with the interface design as well as doing a lot of code review. I think it depends. It goes in spurts, but I'm involved on a weekly basis. I do participate in these stand-ups. I do participate in feature development and writing design documents and contributing. And that's actually one of the things I think is really cool is that even the people that are leading these projects are not just mentors. They're also contributing code. That's awesome. Well, I know a common theme that we've talked about so far in this episode is about education and learning, because I know this is very much close to your heart. And so I think you would agree that there is just a ton to learn out there. Rails is constantly changing. Ruby's constantly changing. How well web development is constantly changing. There's just a lot to learn out there. And so if you could give the listeners like one bit of advice about how we can level up to learn, what would you say? Yeah, that was part of the reason why I went back to grad school was to be able to give a better answer to that question. And I think that the only thing that if there was any one takeaway that I got from that experience is that there's no one right way to learn. And by that, I mean, you have to be attentive to what is the skill and in particular, the task that you're trying to accomplish and backtrack what are the necessary skills that you have to develop and the requisite competencies for being able to accomplish that task. And so if you are trying to improve debugging, maybe some part of that is spotting syntax errors, right? If you're a junior developer, if you're trying to work on a particular method of communication, maybe some part of that is kind of having retrospectives and focusing on worked in the communication, what didn't work in the communication. It is so situated, it's so context dependent. And that's actually one of the reasons why I really love what we're able to do at the Agency of Learning because it does feel a lot more like an apprenticeship in that we're able to scaffold really a lot of these peripheral details and help people focus on accomplishing particular tasks rather than kind of giving inauthentic exercises or kind of like contrived exercises for people to level up on. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I love that. And, you know, for me, you know, when I go to learn, I need to have some sort of skin in the game. I don't learn as well if it's not like a real project, if it's not benefiting real people. When I was learning how to code, yeah, I would build some toy apps and that would help. But I liked the idea of being in a boot camp, getting graded, and then eventually taking on either small projects, small clients in order to keep learning. And that really seems to be something that the agency is pushing. Totally. So this is perfect timing, and I will link this up in the show notes, but Remote Ruby just did their recap of the Rails Hackathon, and I know you participated in it, which is the latest edition. So for those who are unfamiliar with the Rails Hackathon, this is something that is put on by GoRails. It's a remote hackathon for Rails developers over 48 hours to build your best Ruby on Rails applications with your friends. So what was the theme this year? So this year's theme was how do we help support the Rails community writ large? I love that. I think that is a great theme. Curious, do you remember when the Rails Rumble was still around? No, no, I don't. Yeah, uh, can you like tell me about school. it? Yeah, absolutely. 
That was like an old school hackathon. It was very reminiscent of a Rails hackathon. And I think that's one of my favorite things that Chris Oliver does is like he sees things that were very popular in the past and they might have fallen by the wayside. And he's just really good about like reinvigorating those kinds of initiatives. It's just awesome. So I'm really glad that the Rails hackathon is around. It sounds like a ton of people participated. And so I would love to hear all about what you decided to build and with who. Yeah, I worked with Declan Nutzelman and Josh Brody. Two awesome guys. I met Declan actually thanks to Chris as a result of the organization of the Rails Hackathon. And Josh I'd met through Go Rails. And Josh is an incredible developer. And he had this idea that we could develop a dashboard for Ahoy, which is an event tracking software that's open source and used in Ruby. So thank you, Andrew Kane, for yet another incredible package. And so we figured this would be a really awesome opportunity for us to using inspiration or actually just copying some other open source projects to be able to visualize some of the events that otherwise haven't been as easily to track visually using Ahoy. This episode is brought to you by FastRuby. Is your Rails version lagging behind, but the budget just isn't there for an upgrade? Try Bonsai by FastRuby.io. Whether your application is stuck in Rails 2.3 or you're ready to leap to 7.0, they have seen it all. With over 20,000 hours invested in upgrading applications, they've mastered the art of Rails upgrades. Start chipping away at $2,000 per month with Bonsai, a fixed cost monthly maintenance service by FastRuby.io. Contact experts at FastRuby.io today. Thank you to FastRuby for supporting the show. Okay, tell me a little more about Ahoy because I haven't used it personally, but I am not surprised to hear that Andrew Kane has made something amazing. Yeah, Andrew Kane made this. I want to say it's at least as old as my introduction to Rails. So over a decade ago, I think, because I remember using it in the block code base. And so I think we moved away from using Ahoy and more towards segments, some of these other events tracking tools and aggregators and visualizers. But one of the things about Ahoy is that it didn't quite have visualization, a native visualization just for it. And so we figured, why not build something like that? So it allows you to track just kind of clicks on pages. It collects information about visitors, where they they are geographically. And then we started implementing funnels and goals and conversions in addition to just giving an overview dashboard of how many visitors have been arriving how many of them were unique where did they come from where did they visit things of that nature okay so how did you end up approaching the weekend it sounds like you probably had your team ahead of time did someone take on the project management of it how did you divide up the tasks basically how did the weekend go We had an interesting split in terms of time zones where I was able to work a lot while Josh and Declan (laughs) were sleeping. And so the kickoff happened and Josh kind of was able to very rapidly whip together a basic skeleton of the back end. And so I started working on the front end. And so we used like few components and Daisy UI to kind of speed things up. There's a lot of repetition in the way that we wanted to visualize things. So we just started chipping away and basically shamelessly ripping interface cues from other incredible open source projects. And so 
because we had a goal we wanted to recreate, it was easy to be able to say, oh, okay, this is still missing. This is still missing. This is still missing. And so by the time I went to sleep, I was able to check in the code that I had and Josh was able to pick it up and then keep moving it forward. And Declan as well. I think I did a little bit more helping of Declan to kind of debug and get acquainted with the stack. But overall, it was a nice kind of divide in terms of like me and Declan on the front end and Josh on the back end. Other than using Ruby on Rails for, of course, the Ruby on Rails hackathon, what other libraries or frameworks did you decide to include in your tech stack for your project? Just to bootstrap this as fast as possible, we actually decided not to bootstrap, but to use Daisy UI so that we could... I like the flexibility of Tailwind. And so we used Tailwind and Daisy UI. We used View Components, Hotwire, lots of Hotwire. And then for querying, we reached for Ransack, which was not a library I'd used, but seems to be fairly powerful. Well, I mean, that's in keeping with the whole Andrew Kane theme, right? Because wasn't he the one who invented that? Yeah, okay. That's what I thought. <laughs> I feel like I've passed my Andrew Kane quiz of the day. <laughs> it's it's really funny. Josh used to work at a place and he was like, yeah, we just basically run the Andrew Kane stack. <laughs> <laughs> he is so, so appreciated. I would not be surprised if he gets nominated for that luminary award that Rails World just announced, right? Totally. Totally. So overall, like, how did the weekend go? Did you finish on time? Were you happy with what you were able to accomplish? Yeah. So we ended up finishing on time. We were mostly feature complete. We had quite a lot that we tried to build, but fundamentally, like, we were able to deploy something and got most of the dashboard, albeit a little bit not fully functioning goals and funnels. But still, we were able to get most of the, the visualizations done, and that felt really nice. And now we're continuing to hack on it. So it feels really cool to have started an open source project that is now continuing to be worked on. That's awesome. If listeners want to check it out or even possibly get involved, where should they go? They should go check out the Ahoy Captain repository that is under Josh's GitHub. So it's Josh underscore MN forward slash Ahoy Captain. Awesome. I will link that all up in the show notes. So I'm sure Chris is going to put on the Rails Hackathon again. So do you have any tips for listeners who might want to sign up for the next edition? Totally. I think that there's a couple of things that I found to be really helpful. The first was finding teammates ahead of time and figuring out what would be a decent division of labor both in terms of timing and what you can work on concurrently or asynchronously in my case. But I think beyond that, there's a sense of like, maybe if you don't necessarily know what you want to build, you can look at other successful projects that maybe aren't in the Rails world or in the Rails stack, but would be cool to rebuild. Even if this is like more of a kata for yourself, more of an exercise to see, oh yeah, I wanted to rebuild XYZ, but for Rails. I think that the more open source kind of software that we're able to bring back into the Rails world and make available as gems or as platforms for us will enrich the community. That's awesome. Well, as someone who came to the Rails community, took a slight departure and has now returned. What are your thoughts and feelings on the Rails community as a whole? 
So part of the reason why I came back to Rails is because I love the people in it fundamentally. But I also find that the guiding principles of Rails are very compelling. I think that especially with the introduction of Hotwire and Strata, I think is going to be revealed at Rails World, which I'm pretty excited about. I think that we're able to get a lot accomplished really quickly with our Rails monoliths. And that the fact that we have conventions over configuration and that it's still omakase, but it is very performant now. And we're able to replicate most of what we would expect to need from a fully SPA kind of app is super, super compelling to me. I find it really sad to see how much has moved away from Rails because it still has so much potential and so much power. That's awesome. How can listeners follow you? Right now, follow me on GitHub, LinkedIn. I don't really social media very much, but I do have a blog, which I try and occasionally update in case you are interested in more kind of like exploits into the world of Canvas. That's been where I've spent a lot of time kind of trying to figure out how to marry Rails and the HTML5 Canvas. So check that out. I could not relate to that more. It is very tempting at any given day just to wipe out all my social media accounts. <laughs> I absolutely understand. But we'll link up everything that you just mentioned into the show notes. Ariel, it was such a joy having you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all your insights around learning and education and talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.